Hey, everybody. Welcome to Investing in Cannabis. I'm your host, Brandon David. Great show. Today, we have Gene Sullivan of the ArcView Group, specifically of the ArcView Collective Fund, which we talk about what that means and having a member-managed fund. Uh, it's part of my series while I've been out here in New York for a couple of weeks. So fascinating discussion about what's coming, the regs, the pros, the cons, uh, and what that means for ArcView. Gene has an awesome background in technology venture capital. We get into that, including the deals that she wished she would have done, the ones that got away. It's an awesome conversation. Gene is great and enthusiastic and honestly an inspiration. Uh, so you're going to enjoy the episode, guys. You're going to love it. I learned a ton. You're going to learn a ton. Tune in, listen up, get acquainted. Got a chance to meet some people in New York and sort of dive in and I'm excited. You're like Mrs. New York, so Aren't you I'm here. No, I want you to call me the queen of cannabis or one of them. Queen of cannabis. I'll take it. Okay. <laughs> um, so I think ArcView is a name a lot of people are going to know. Um, but as I was looking through, you guys have so many different sides of the businesses today that I didn't even know about. Um, can you kind of like walk us through yes. the different sides? Of it's it? got an interesting history. Do you know that ArcView is an 11-year-old company, wow. which is shocking to think about, founded by two great pioneers, Steve D'Angelo, who I'm so proud to call my friend, mm -hmm. and Troy Dayton. Troy was on the show three years ago, maybe, something Both like that. Both of these so, gentlemen yeah. are wonderful people uh, through and through, and they saw before anyone that investors would want to convene, get together, share ideas, deal flow, uh, start companies, invest in great companies. They saw this. So ArcView traditionally has been an event company. However, enter COVID. How do you run a successful live, these are big deal events, major three-day events, suck down the energy and effort of the entire company. and uh, and. So how do you do that with COVID? Enter Kim Kovac, who became the CEO in February 2020, and she saw, and it was already in cooking, but saw the opportunity to turn ArcView from a traditional events company to an asset management platform. Mm -hmm. So now we have three silos of business, which are pretty exciting. One, a true uh, FINRA-based ArcView Capital, so broker-dealer, mm -hmm. kind of exciting because all these companies want to raise money. Mm -hmm. Number two, an ArcView consulting line of business because people come to us all the time. How do, I, how do I build this business? What do I do? Uh, let's say I'm a big non-cannabis company. Where should I play? So real brain trust there led by some dynamic people. Mm -hmm. And then ArcView Ventures, which I helped co-found along with a pretty interesting, very experienced guy named Jeff Finkel. Well... Kim got wooed away just recently uh, to help build a wonderful industrial hemp company. And Jeff was named CEO of the ArcView Group, as well as he's my partner in ArcView Ventures. Okay. So we've really morphed the company in a very positive way. But there is an old guard, a strong, huge community of people who care about each other, who love to get together. And so it is our plan to continue that along the lines of investing and what can we do, but more to come on the live part because we're, we're going to continue that, but in a little different way. Got it. So just traditionally, in case anybody doesn't know, it's a group of angels that generally come together. There's presentations from companies, and then investments are made in those companies. Traditionally, right? that's how it's been. And guess what? That community has invested more than $300 million in just about every cannabis company there is. Yeah. So uh, we have observed that, guess what? It took multiple millions of dollars from the ArcView Group to fund these companies, meaning the people putting money to work for these events and making a lot of people very wealthy. Mm -hmm. And so that's certainly been our legacy. But now we want to really continue to leverage all those things with these new uh, lines of business. It's pretty exciting. So you work mostly on the venture side. Yes, right? I do, ahead, except so. that we are very coordinated group. Those three lines of business work together to support each other, help each other. So I'm always involved with, uh, uh, let's say, referring business to capital or consulting. This week I'm moderating, moderating something called a town hall as we dive deep into various states. I just did New York 
we'll do New York again. And then this week we're, we're doing a town hall in Illinois. <clears throat> As we dig in and figure out what's going on in this state, do you want to play in Illinois? Well, how do you do that? What's going on? Are there more licenses? So it's that kind of discussion. So on ventures, it's pretty exciting because we never acted as principal in that $300 million investing activity. What a shame. <laughs> you know, we all rue the fact because we had so many fa fabulous business owners, license owners. And you guys got points on it or any equity or anything? Wouldn't that at all? have been a good idea? Nothing. Just cash. Embarrassing. You just got paid a little bit up front for the You see, the Troy and Steve came from the social equity viewpoint. They were appalled, as we are, of course, also, that brown and black men and boys were being arrested and are still being arrested. They founded ArcView to help do something about that and then realized overnight that investors so wanted to convene and talk and all. So they didn't understand that financial side of the business, but they sure do now, and, uh, and we do as an entity. So now it's pretty exciting to be able to leverage that in this very frothy cannabis world. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So you could have raised a traditional fund, and I'm sure, you know, sort of a blind pool capital fund. You've opted for this, I think you called it a member-managed collective, something? Yes. Explain that a little yes, bit. Yes, it's kind of interesting, and it's different. And, uh, and it was actually founded in tech more than 10 years ago. So Jeff Finkel had a lot to do with that in the tech world. I happen to know the founders of that because I've played in the New York and US tech scene for many years. Mm -hmm. That's certainly my legacy. And so what happens is it's called member managed because the members are actually involved in spotting the companies, let's say, uh, we then put it together and they decide, do, is this good enough to invest in? But it's called capital, so we don't have to pass the hat. Mm -hmm. So here's what's kind of fun. In this fund, the ArcView Collective Fund, uh, we have uh, 78 investors, and that's pretty exciting. And we've ended the uh, acquisition of, let's say, limited partners mm -hmm. in this fund. Uh, so that we can continue, and we've made 15 investments. So on all 15, they actually vote, do they want this? They're involved in the due diligence portion of it. And guess what? They love this. Many are very active. I'd say a good half of the 78 in uh, evaluating the company and doing the due diligence, and then certainly in being involved in monitoring and, and all. And so it's a great educational way for non-cannabis people, although there are many cannabis angel investors in this group, certainly a lot of real estate uh, investors, very interested. So what a great way to be exposed to a wide diversity of, of businesses and to build a portfolio, because we expect to invest in about 20 to 24 companies. And check size? Check size is small, but I like to say it's small but mighty. Around 100,000, although we would do larger, and in fact, we plan to, to invest larger. And uh, we do follow on to stay with the company. So around 100,000 on the first bite. And then uh, uh, here's what's interesting. We have allowed our investors to come alongside of us if there's room. So sometimes that investment size in the financing is 500,000 or more. So that's where the mighty comes in. And also, we, we know everybody has ArcView. So we try to help these companies grow, get funded by other people. We certainly know all the institutional investors, sure. many of the angels. So we're really in there trying to help. And what we're finding, and this is really nice for us. Companies are proud to have ArcView on their cap table. Mm -hmm. So that's it's a lot of fun. Yeah, that's a good feeling. Yes, it is a good feeling. And this idea came from members of ArcView wanting to do something more organized or wanting to be a little more passive or how, tell you me know about what, the strategy. You know what happened? I knew Jeff because he also was a tech investor uh, in all the years that I was here in New York. And when we introduced ArcView, the collective fund that he had built in tech, and he had also started it in cannabis. We introduced it to uh, Troy, and he saw that this was perfect for the ArcView membership. And it has been perfect. But now, 
of now it's time to really press on the gas because we plan, and we've already started this, to build other investment platforms under the ARCU Ventures umbrella, giving these investors who long for great companies to invest in, giving them an opportunity. For example, forming some special purpose vehicles mm -hmm. with companies that are right for us. And we're looking at also some other funds to bring either under our umbrella, where we have a, a part of that, or to start yet another fund. Yeah. So that is the plan. And really the, the goal is that uh, the Entourage Effect Group Matt Hawkins and Gang, mm -hmm. are very much cousins to ArcView. They're on our board and they're investors. So they see what we're doing as really a, an ability to seed what they're doing because they're more growth capital and uh, further up in the food chain. I see. So we're just delighted to be able to present some great companies. And and that's that's one of our real goals. Which is a model from technology. Why right? not? Yeah, yeah, sure. yeah. All Indeed. the scouts for the big funds out there. We'll take yeah. it. Yes. <laughs> we'll take it. Um, so there are some pros and cons of this sort of model. Tell us, I think we've talked about some of the pros. What, what are some cons of doing it this way? So I've been a longtime general partner, uh, delighted the co-founder of a $400 million tech fund right here in New York City. And as a GP group, you source the company, you figure out if it's good enough, you do the diligence, and you pull the trigger. I have to get buy-in from at least 50% of those 78 people. Right. And I'll just tell you this to make you laugh. And really, it makes me amused. Um, I recently sourced a pretty interesting company. I'll tell you about it in a minute. And it's complicated. So guess what? People who haven't grown up in this business, it's hard to explain complication. And so they vote yes or no. And when I saw a no from somebody, he's a lovely man, he's a wealthy investor, he voted no. He's a physician on the West Coast. And I thought, oh my golly, this is hard. You know, why would you vote no? And I actually wrote to him. Uh, They're not anonymous, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And so uh, certainly I see it. And uh, so it, it's hard sometimes to get buy-in when there's complexities. And that's understandable, because look, uh, uh, I don't pretend to know it all. I don't pretend to, to know, is this company really going to scale? But after many years of investing, I love to say, I've seen a thousand times a thousand companies. Mm -hmm. That's a million companies. That's a lot. That's a lot. So there is some pattern recognition at work. What the heck is that CEO all about? Mm -hmm. Is there really an addressable market here? And the number one thing that I love to share, which Bill Gross of Idea Labs always made this important to him, timing. A company could be the most magnificent company. If it's not the right time, guess what? It might be 10 years before it really scales. Mm -hmm. And so all that is hard. It's hard to be an early stage investor. You know, you're sure around is. Jason forever. It's not an easy thing to do, and it's many times about judgment calls, like you were saying. It, there's much less data, there's much less numbers in finance. It's about the people and whether they're gonna overcome it, whether they're gonna figure out whatever they need to figure out, right? I'm fascinated by that. Me too, I am too. I think it's way more interesting than investing in C or D rounds where, you know, it's just cost of acquisition and lifetime value and that's it, basically. Um, how, tell me about the deal flow a little bit. I mean, obviously yeah. you guys are well known, but you must get a lot of bad deal flow too. <laughs> well, it comes in like an ocean, but that's where having long experience on sorting through companies comes in handy. So I do have good gut instinct. Brain and the gut have to agree. And, uh, and certainly, uh, uh, you know, it is, it is a uh, interesting journey. But I feel I can really sort through, and then I'm not doing this alone. Jeff's at my side. And then we have this wonderful evaluation committee of some seasoned investors. So we present several companies, and they decide yes, no, maybe alongside of us. All from the membership. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So a, a subgroup from the membership. Mm -hmm. And so we do that every month. And then we present the best uh, four companies and then the best two to everybody, and then they decide. But back to the cons, yes, it is hard, I will admit, to get buy-in sometimes, but we usually do because we write a really uh, state-of-the-art investment memo, and then they decide, hey, 
yes, I'll come on in, especially if they know that we're, Jeff and I, are well behind it. And like you said, if they vote no, you write them emails. And <laughs> <laughs> well, it's going to be interesting to see. Some of these companies are starting to percolate up. You want me to tell you about a few of them? Yeah, go ahead. Let me tell you about the most recent one. This was the one where I got a no on it. Got a couple of no's, but we did invest. I'm proud to say that I sourced this. It's called Birchmont, and it's doing gift cards for cannabis. Now, this is what I've learned, because you know that women are the largest growing cohort in this cannabis world. Women love gift cards. Men don't really get it on <laughs> gift cards, you know? Yep. And in fact, that's what was countered back to me. This gentleman investor said to me, well, if I go buy an uh, alcohol for somebody or go to somebody's uh, house for dinner, I bring them a bottle of wine or a great, you know, craft uh, a spirit. And I said, yes, but in cannabis, I don't know if you want flour, a special vape pen. You may not know. <laughs> yes, I have no idea. So yeah. I think gift cards come in handy. Mm -hmm. And sure enough, the CEO of this company uh, sold his company to Blackhawk. Now, you may recall, Blackhawk was sold for over $2.3 billion to Silver Lake, mm -hmm. the giant private equity firm. I just so happened to know the chairman of Blackhawk, and I called him up and said, well, what do you think of this CEO, and what do you think about non, about cannabis companies selling gift cards, and would that ever be attractive to you, and what is Silver Lake thinking about, et cetera. So I was able to dig in and really figure out, is the opportunity there for acquisition? And this CEO is a Canadian. And let me tell you, Canada, as you know, is far ahead of the U.S. Here, Justin Trudeau saw that cannabis could put them on the map, and it did, mm -hmm. even though certainly there's flaws and ups and downs. <clears throat> so, uh, Sure enough, this CEO's Canadian, and Canada does do a lot of gift cards also. A big POS company just gave them all their business because doing gift cards is actually hard. There's a lot of back-end ins and outs of cash because you have this issue called breakage. At 13 months, that's when you're allowed to book it as revenue. Mm -hmm. So that's hard, mm -hmm. cash flowing in and out, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And so sure enough, he has won the likes of many of the big brands here in the U.S. Uh, for Airfield, Caliva, and other great brands are buying gift cards like crazy, sitting on a rack near the POS, and people are adopting it. So we're seeing something new happen in the way of a new product. And, Pretty interesting. And is the idea, I've seen the gift card model yes. uh, as a way to sort of replace credit cards in dispensaries. Is that part of that strategy, or it's really just a, a gifting idea? Well, it is a gifting idea, but it's also a way to promote so you can actually, in some states, not all, offer 10% off, buy this $50 gift card for $40. Yep. So it's a way to do some workarounds there. Got it. So uh, if you'd like me to tell you about a few other companies. Yeah, go ahead. Let me tell you something. Are you into the uh, chemical and biosynthesis companies? Because, boy, we are. It is fascinating what's going on. It took me two years to really get this. Mm -hmm. What? We're going to produce cannabinoids in the lab, but certainly the narrow cannabinoids are really a favor. And I now fully believe that these big food and beverage companies are going to want the consistency of cannabinoids that are processed in a lab. It's almost hard for me to say because I certainly believe in beautiful uh, uh, sun-grown flour, et cetera, and that is not going away. Mm -hmm. But I believe that the big CPG companies will do favor and will favor this, that big pharma will favor this, to have the consistency of producing them in the lab. How do you think about the overlap of investments? Like, if they're both working towards CVN products, is that competitive for you, or how do you, how no, do you think about No, you know that? what? The tent is so large for these cannabinoids, for opportunity and for product, that I think it's very okay to do an overlap. And let me tell you about another overlap that we're doing. <clears throat> of course, we would have liked to invest it in CAN in the earlier days, but we didn't. So to us, as an investment thesis, 
we decided investing up the supply chain was a good idea. So some of the companies that are doing the emulsion technology, some of the companies doing the ingredients, we find that interesting. And we've made a couple of investments in that area. One is source technology, another is abstract holdings. Mm -hmm. Both Cali California company actually sources in Seattle. And we think that that's an interesting way to go. Now we would invest in a beverage company. We haven't ruled that out. But as you know. Hard to pick which one. It's though. hard. It's yeah. like, are you Clive Davis picking the next big music <laughs> hit? That's how we looked at it. Yeah. So what's interesting is that I have followed beverages for many years. And uh, as a famous uh, CEO in that space used to say all the time from the Arcview stage, the reason beverages haven't taken off is they all sucked in taste. Mm -hmm. And they did. I've tried many of them. They're really bad, some of them. Really bad. Some of the CBD drinks are really bad, too. Really bad. <laughs> a bitter taste, a weedy taste, but some now are really good. Mm -hmm. Have you had some great ones? I've had all of them. Yeah, Can was on the show, I don't know, a year ago or so. Wonder, uh, a client of the flower agency we were just talking about. Um, some are really good. And it seems the lower dose ones are becoming popular, and I think that's a because of the alternative consumer, right? Yes, especially in a social setting, especially women, we want to drink more than one. That manufacturing company wants us to drink more than one. Sure. Not have some 10, I have in my office, a 100 milligram drink. Yep. Are you kidding me? That would lay me out for two weeks. And so the low dose THC with CBD to kind of counter that tastes delicious, those are some real winners. So when you look at that market, the sales for that category are still pretty small, right? And in most dispensaries around the country, consumers are very focused on the THC to dollar ratio, right? And I think that's why a lot of the low dose beverages or beverages in general haven't grown that much. I guess two questions, do you <coughs> foresee that changing in dispensaries or are people going to get these beverages outside of that retail chain? I do see it changing, but here's was the bigger problem. Distribution. Mm -hmm. Beverages are heavy. heavy. It's hard to distribute. So we started following a really interesting company in Massachusetts where we're playing a lot. And, uh, and so uh, the problem was he was uh, building this product in the Boston area. He had no idea how to get it to Western Mass because the Berkshires are very much alive with some great cannabis community yep. and some retailers. Uh, and so figuring that out has been hard, but that's happening. Uh, and now you saw with Can that uh, they've gotten distribution from a terrific yep. wholesaler there who we know well. So cracking the code on distribution is more important than all these pieces about dollars per gram. People want them. These drinks are flying off the shelf where they taste great, they're affordable, and, you know, it's, it's, it's a great way to go. Uh, so I, I find that interesting. Now I just opened the door to the Berkshires. It's only two hours and 20 minutes from New York City to drive up the Taconic, a very pleasurable drive. And we've invested in a wonderful retailer and a woman-owned company. It's called Rebel, that's the code name. Uh, the actual name is Community Growth Partners. And uh, Charlotte Hanna is the CEO. And she found me several years ago and uh, we noticed, wow, she's raising money for a very interesting part of our world, which is Western Mass, which has a very interesting uh, connected cannabis community. Uh, there's 30 little towns that make up the Berkshires. And so it's, it's a real community of interest with some very interesting, a lot of New Yorkers are there. And so uh, there's been several retailers that have opened shop there. And, uh, and also the group gets together on a monthly party that somebody well known to us puts on. And so we invested behind Rebel, and in fact this weekend, Labor Day, was her one year anniversary. And now uh, she has uh, obtained uh, licenses for cultivation and for uh, manufacturing. And so it's very exciting to see that growth because guess what? The parking lot's filled with license plates from New York 
Connecticut, New Jersey. Mm -hmm. And so it's pretty exciting because it's close and there's a beautiful array of products. So that turns our attention to New York where there are no products because there are only <laughs> 10 licenses in this crazy state of 20 million people. So I often, when I have audiences, will say, look at us in New York. It's a medical state still, although obviously change is finally coming. No flour, no edibles, no nothing. Feel sorry for us, I tell people, let's say if I'm sitting in some other state. You can get some great tinctures, I heard, though. There you go. <laughs> and so, uh, so sure enough, uh, 10 licenses only in this crazy state. Mm -hmm. And thank God on March 31st, uh, now our outgoing, sorry to say, Governor Cuomo, uh, signed that bill, though, finally, mm. after some duress. And our new governor, Kathy Hochul, leave it to a woman, says she is going to make up for lost time. And so that is happening finally in New York. Yeah. What do you think about that? I think it's very exciting. And even starting the show six years ago or so, it would have been hard to envision New York as a recreationally well, legal state. Not here. For you? And let me tell you why. Yeah. That's how I got my start in this crazy cannabis world. I am so accidental being a player in cannabis. And here's why. I've been a 25-year tech investor, mm -hmm. and actually, I like sharing this dreadful story, that I actually believed that the war on drugs was something you were supposed to pay attention to. I had no idea that we arrest 600,000 people, mostly brown and black men. I had to learn the war on drugs is a war on people, a war on research. Mm -hmm. It's, it's a really a dreadful, failed uh, war. And when I learned that, and I learned that by reading Steve D'Angelo's book, The Cannabis Manifesto, which I hand to people who are new to the business. So you can really learn the terrible and dreadful history of over a hundred years. Mm -hmm. And that did it for me. But because I'm a longtime investor, I saw within 10 seconds that this was the next big thing. Mm -hmm. And the lucky door opened for us we became investors in one of those 10 licenses. Very nice. That was great. So 2014 was my awakening, and I had just rolled off my fun. And my husband became uh, a player number two in one of those, uh, in they're called ROs for registered organizations, mm -hmm. and helped build that. And then uh, uh, GTI, Green Thumb, did acquire that a couple years ago. Okay. So the, one of the reasons that I said to you quickly, oh no, not uh, I saw New York as a real opportunity, is did you know that New York is the largest illegal, illicit market in the world? It wow. is thought to be possibly, get ready, six to ten billion dollar mm -hmm. illegal market. It is highly organized. Mm -hmm. It is, uh, that's where most people do buy their cannabis yeah. products. But you don't go looking for some speakeasy and bathtub gin anymore, do you? No. You buy a gorgeous craft gin or craft vodka. And so I know in time that illegal illicit market will go away because people want tested products, at least many of us do. They want products that are beautifully created and all. And sure, the issue of high taxes and all are a big issue. The issue of availability, the issue of cost, all that enters into it. But in every state where adult use has been implemented, the illicit market has been tamped down. It hasn't gone away, but it certainly has lessened. And so we want that over time. Mm -hmm. And the real uh, opportunity is to bring many of these illicit players into the legal market and give them an opportunity to play yep. because traditionally it's been a rich white men's game. Sure. Um, I, I want to touch on that too. But I think in, in regards to the black market, it goes back to what we were saying earlier, where some of the alternative products that are branded, you know, a beverage or whatever, they're not gonna be able to keep, they're gonna compete with the black market. You can't get that from your guy, right? You can't get a low dose gummy, you can't get a beverage or a breath strip or whatever. So if you're comparing flower to flower, sure, 
maybe you're going to do that, even though it's not tested and there's a lot of other reasons to buy legal cannabis. I do see how as brands develop and other consumers come along, they'll want something that's specific, right? And you can't just get that from any guy. Um, you brought up white rich guys being the norm. Um, there's this narrative in the cannabis industry that it's better for minorities and women in this industry. Do you find that? Is that true? It's hard. It's hard for several reasons. And so many of us are dedicated to making change there. But here's something kind of interesting. The New York statute, all 124 pages of which I've read, actually deems women as part of the social equity uh, package. Mm. So that's kind of exciting. Yeah, it's interesting. Yes, yeah. very. And Even though they're not a minority because they're more than men? Well, right? that's okay. <laughs> but we've not played. We haven't been no, able fair to enough, play. Yeah. And it's about time. <laughs> and in fact, uh, I would say one of my passions as a longtime investor, has been to help women, support women, sponsor women, show them the way, invest in them, teach them what to do as far as getting the wallet out of the pocket of investors. Which must have been hard to do 25 years ago. Really hard, and yeah. it still is. Guess mm -hmm. what? That hasn't changed. Yeah, it's only like 6% no, of venture capital. No, it's 2.2%. Like yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's pretty <laughs> that's sick. That's so low. And the thing that I love to always quote is, do you know there's only 41 women that are CEOs of Fortune 500 wow. companies? That's 8%. Wow. And here's why that's important to understand. Guess what? You know this. Women are the principal buyers of all the household goods, the clothing, the clothing their partners wear and their kids wear, the health care that they pick, the cars, the homes. But we are nowhere in the executive suite even deeming compensation, so the executive committees, of many and most CPG companies or companies that make these products and services. So what is that? When I had that realization, that's when I said 25 years ago, I'm doing something about it. So I've always been dedicated to supporting. But when I learned in cannabis about the draconian aspects of the people have suffered from the war on drugs. I said, I'm doing something about that. And I am thrilled to tell you that really the basis of the New York statute that was published, not the regs, we'll talk about that in a minute, but the statute expects at least 50% of all licenses that are gonna be issued to be issued to social equity applicants. Now, here's the problem. Many times they need the education, they need the financing, they need the knowledge, they need the support and that sponsorship. That's how we can help make that happen. And, and, and make it happen in a great way that supports this very large group of people that have really suffered from the war on drugs. So let's go, let's do that. And I'm proud to say just last Sunday, I had Jason Wilde and Chris Weber on stage, and they just put together a $100 million social equity fund. So that's one way. And then many companies, many of these well-doing MSOs have pockets of money and initiatives to help social equity applicants with either scholarships or funding opportunity, entrepreneurship programs. And so that's important to many of us. And so I'm excited to be part of that and do something about that. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. I mean, one of the reasons you have such a, a great venture capital background, you said you had a $400 million fund. The numbers are smaller <coughs> in this business, right? For sure. So it's interesting. It's almost a personal choice for you to be a part of this industry than it is a, a business choice. Is that fair? Well, no, I see this as the next big thing because guess what? We are marching toward being a hundred billion dollar entity mm -hmm. by 2030. Mm -hmm. So that's pretty exciting. Yep. And what I've noticed about just my life, I had to look back and figure this out. I like being early days. Sure. We were early in tech, in cloud-based computing, early one of the first groups to ever say that. And then we invested in some of the great cloud-based computing companies of our time. Mm -hmm. I'm thrilled to be early in this world of cannabis, uh, learning the business from the ground up, learning these great players, and pre-COVID, uh, I've been part of ArcView for many years, 
uh, in February 2020. That was my 22nd ArcView event. Oh, wow. So I've had a chance to travel all over the world. I got to speak in Europe. We went to China. We did the first cannabis conference in Asia. Mm -hmm. That was thrilling. Mm -hmm. And one of my thrills was to go to Israel and see Israel, meet Dr. Raphael Meshulam, meet some of the great scientists and great Canadian LPs. Mm -hmm. So that's been thrilling to build up my knowledge of both people and what's going on in this business. Absolutely fascinating. You certainly have done your homework as well. Um, talking about VC and Angel, one of the things I love to ask is, was there one that got away? Was there one that you missed on that you wish you had gotten? Certainly more than one, I'm sorry <laughs> to say. I had a chance to be early days in Tokyo Smoke. Do you oh, remember wow. that yeah, one? Sure. I knew Lauren Gertner and his son very well. Mm -hmm. He pitched me. Why did I hesitate? You know, I've thought about that many times because they got a double bump, you know, they got acquired and acquired mm -hmm. again. And uh, they were early to say, we're going to build out all these consumption lounges in Canada. But they couldn't tell me much. And that was important. But I learned something. You know what I learned? to truly observe the fire in the belly of these CEOs mm -hmm. who know what to do and how to do it. And so they, Lauren, certainly great investor with a long track record. And so that one got away. I was also close to the CEO at the time of Ebu, and that came through ArcView. Both of these companies were on our stage yep. at ArcView. And, uh, uh, if I'd been smart enough, I would have uh, taken my wallet out for, for both of those. So yes, both pain me. How about in technology? In technology, certainly many got away. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, I'm thinking fast of some of the ones just to mention, but boy, do I praise uh, some of the uh, early days of, uh, oh, I'm just thinking fast. We were talking about Jason, one, one of the favorite stories there is, he, you know, he's big on blogs, right? He started Weblogs, which is this huge blog network. And Jack Dorsey came to him and said, do you want to invest in Twitter? And he said, well, you've taken the blog post and removed the article. I don't get it. This is dumb. <laughs> it did not, did not make that investment. So I love he's it. done quite fine, but yeah. <laughs> fine by that. Because I'm in New York, I know Fred Wilson and I read his blog post every day. Mm -hmm. What an amazing investor. So certainly he saw and then took his wallet out for all those great early days. Mm -hmm. And the one we were most proud of was NetSuite. We were three women sitting in New York and we were not bothered by the hubris of Larry Ellison. And so we were the uh, first institutional investor. And because of that, we really realized what cloud-based computing was all about and did invest in many of those companies and became known for that. But no, you're right, so many great companies along the way. So I do have FOMO, which is a terrible disease to have. <laughs> and so I got my binoculars on every day looking for great cannabis companies, because mm -hmm. I am all in on this business, really for the rest of my life. Yeah. It hits on all the notes for me, from the social justice inequities that I can maybe do something about, to the opportunity to find, build, invest in, and. Uh, some of these great companies and meet such wonderful uh, business owners and entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. It's thrilling. Let's talk about New York a little bit. Yep. So what's good about regs that have come out? What's bad? You probably know better than most people. I reviewed them. I watched your seminar about New York. But tell us just your high level of, of what you so, think is happening. So here's high level. Um, can we do it right? Can we capitalize as a state? on all the mishaps in other states? Maybe. I do feel some hope, and so do others, with the new governor, Kathy Hochul. Here we are, a woman who's got her eyes wide open, how to do it right and better, because guess what? She's from upstate New York, where they need revenues and tax revenues and jobs. So that's kind of exciting. Yep. So there's hope for that. And then in the statute already, I already told you about women are deemed social equity applicants. That's exciting. And social consumption lounges are built into the New York statute. Yes. I really believe in that. I'm a big Planet 13 aficionado. I think it's an amazing place. You saw they just acquired Opportunity in Florida. Mm -hmm. They're in Southern California now beside their magnificent showroom in Las Vegas. 
certainly they're going to come to New York. And I just can hardly wait for that great big superstore and consumption lounge. I'm certain they'll be there. And so that's exciting to us because we do see New York as that next great big place, kind of like in Amsterdam. I know that's coming. Mm -hmm. And New York certainly will be number two in volume <clears throat> and revenue to California, mm -hmm. but could even surpass that potentially sure. with all the tourist trade that's here, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So I think that's some of the good stuff. Now, on some of the interesting stuff, can we do it right? The taxes are in there big time. That's alarming yep. because talk about keeping the illicit market alive. You know, it's crazy. Well, that's what's happened in California. Right? Certainly. Yeah. And Steve D'Angelo comes to New York a lot, and I was with him recently. He said, why can't we do a moratorium on taxes for several years? Good idea, Steve, but it's not going to happen. Right. Let everybody get started. <clears throat> let, yeah. Get, yeah. Let everyone get I started. Hear that. He really believes in that, and mm -hmm. boy, so do I. But that's uh, not going to happen. So I'm very hopeful. Talk that, a little bit about, sorry, yeah. I was going to ask about the micro licenses because yes. I think it's something different than it a is. lot of states have done. So what's happened that's interesting is there are 10 ROs here, registered organization, shocking, only 10. <clears throat> Each of those 10 can grow, extract, and you get four dispensaries. So only four times 10 is 40. They're going to be allowed to have four more but only three of the eight can be adult use. Now, isn't that interesting? Okay. That means New York's gonna still be a big medical market. Yeah. Now, I think that's okay, and it's the statute's way of managing the fully integrated licenses. So, in the statute, you can't just go out and buy three cultivation, manufacturing, and retail as one owner, except the micro licenses are going to be allowed to establish those. It's uncertain how large the canopy can be. They're thinking anywhere from three to 10,000, maybe stair-stepped up, which is what Illinois has done with their craft uh, canvas grow. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting. And the uh, micro licenses are deemed to be social equity predominantly. That's kind of exciting. Mm -hmm. Oh, but it is, yeah. Can they do it? Will they know? Can they be financed? And there's also a very quirky uh, line in the statute we're worried about, and it's going to take the regulations to sort this out. Can we own multiple investments in multiple licenses? I hope so. I hope so. Because <laughs> For your sake, we yeah. plan even as a fund to invest in several of these licenses here in New York. Sure. So that's the hope for. So that's some of the quirky part. Now, we were disappointed because here it is now early September and the regs are not out yet, but a good thing did happen. Last week, again, new Governor Hochul called a special session and named the head, heads of the Cannabis Control Commission. Two uh, people who are experienced, they're young, but they're sharpshooters. A woman, Tremaine Wright, was formerly in the New York Assembly, and she's now chair. And Chris Alexander, who is very well thought of, was with the DPA, the Drug Policy Alliance, and was also involved as associate counsel to the New York Senate. So that's exciting, because that's a breakthrough. Now we've got the heads, but they're going to have to hire a staff in order to write the regs. Mm -hmm. We can hardly wait. The rumor is <clears throat> it's going to take about three months to get all that done. Mm. So That sounds optimistic. <laughs> yes, it probably is. Again, it's taken many more months in other states. So uh, in a hopeful way, uh, companies could start applying maybe first of the year. We've award licenses, uh, start building businesses, and let's go. So maybe in 2022, there's an opportunity. I do agree with you. That's optimistic, mm -hmm. but we're hopeful. <laughs> um, <clears throat> there's an interesting piece about delivery companies in that statute too, right? And it has a sort of social equity or mom and pop. Explain that a little Correct. bit. Correct. Yeah. Yes. In theory, deemed to be <clears throat> awarded to social equity applicants. Again, without the regs, it's hard to know. Sure. So, But that's a really interesting place because I think delivery 
is one of the uh, sections that takes the least capital startup to do, right? So someone that doesn't have a business background, doesn't have a lot of access to capital, it's a good entry point. I and think. guess what? We don't own cars in New York City, at least many of us don't. We want <laughs> need delivery. Need yes, yeah, absolutely. let's go. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I want to shift gears, just talk about you a little bit. I, I like to hear about the executive behind everything. Um, you've made so many investments in your life. Do you ever think to yourself, I want to be the founder? I want to start a company? I am proud to say I've been part of over 150 investments, uh, a lot of enterprise-level investments, and now our portfolio, we have another 15 investments, building to 20 or 24. You know, I'm just pleased to invest behind these companies and help these companies. I'm proud to say that I'm still going strong. I've you got, sure are, I've got yeah. several decades behind me, but <clears throat> again, I'm proud of the fact that I've got a lot of energy and just love being builder. So I see myself uh, finding more companies to invest in and just helping them scale. That's thrilling to me. Um, so that's what I see going forward. And again, in this business, I am all in, in this business. Um, you've talked to so many founders. You told us maybe a million companies in your career, yes. something like that. Give some <laughs> advice to someone that's looking for capital from you guys or elsewhere. Any advice there? Yes, I have plenty of advice there. <laughs> First of all, the number one thing that a CEO can do on raising financing, would you learn how to package yourself? Do you know the number one problem? They can't even get it out their mouth properly, many of them, even smart people, you would think. So learning how to package and the real marker for not doing it right is are they all hung up on the feeds and speeds and features of the product? Tell me about the business of the business. Mm -hmm. Know the numbers. I wanted to know the numbers. I often say, if I ask you what the pre-money valuation was of your last round, and you give me a blank stare, that's it. You might have gotten this meeting, you're not gonna get the second meeting. Yeah, because how are you ever gonna get your money out? Right, being a good yeah. steward of our money is critical mm -hmm. for success. Mm -hmm. And then being able to build the right team around you, not being afraid of people smarter, more experienced, who might even take your job. One of the best advice I give, especially if I care about the person who's pitching me, and this is very controversial, but I love to share it. I will tell this person, um, what is your plan? I'll ask, what is your plan for being CEO over time? And I want them to say, you know what, at the right moment, you and I together can find the person who can scale this business and boy, that lets me breathe a sigh of relief. I don't have to displace this person because they're gonna find a new seat on the bus, maybe chair of the company or chief product officer. And I think that's really important. That Just they like Troy has done. Yes, right? indeed. Mm -hmm. And my favorite story is just like in NetSuite, Larry Ellison appointed the smartest guy at Oracle to build NetSuite. And he displaced himself to chairman. And at the IPO, he had many millions of dollars in his bank account. Mm -hmm. And we had a great CEO who scaled the business. And so I use that example often with CEOs. And you know what? They thank me for that mm. advice. Because often they're fearful of sharing that idea that maybe it's not right for them to continue. But Yes, it is, because they have the fire in the belly. They founded this company. They maybe can get it through that first year or two. So I love sharing that. Yeah, no, that's a great story. How about the other side? You meet with a lot of new investors. That's a big part of what Arcview does. Yes. How about advice for them? I give investors, as well as entrepreneurs, this, this advice. It's one of my favorite African proverbs. If you want to go fast, go alone but if you wanna go far, go together. So I believe, especially newbie investors, should surround themselves with other people much smarter in the domain. And that's actually the joy of doing this collective fund, where people do feel some real strength by having other smart people at their side. Mm -hmm. And I certainly feel that strength by pulling people around me to understand the deal or to see if it can scale. Mm -hmm. So I love sharing that, that thought. Teamwork. Yes, indeed. That makes sense. Um, 
What's your personal relationship with cannabis like today? Oh, I love the question. You know, I definitely was a newbie. Sure, did a few tokes in my college years, but I really, I, I think it's important for me as an active investor to understand everything. Sure. I've been in more than 100 dispensaries, grow shops, testing labs, uh, cultivation. I love going on tours. And at Arcview, we always added a tour to our events. So we were in and out of lots of shops. So it's important for me to understand all the brands and the new products and the old products. And yes, I do try them. But I really love the tinctures and topicals. I really don't like the journey that, let's say, an edible can take me on. Mm -hmm. You never know where that's going to stop <laughs> or start. So I think fast onset and offsets and important quality. Back to source and virtosa yes, and all that. Important, yeah. important. But I like the tinctures. Uh, I really uh, feel like they do a great job uh, of uh, managing whatever health issue I want to manage or just a... Uh, you know, calm feeling. And before bed or on the weekends or what's your... I don't have trouble sleeping, but That's if I nice. do, I do reach for that bottle uh -huh. with the little clever formula of THC and CBD. Uh, I, I have a cough, you might have heard of it, and CBD just takes it right away because uh -huh. it's inflammation. I seem to have that effect with a lot of food. So I have to be careful with that. It takes it right away. Huh. And I'm a golf nut, so boy, I'm rubbing that stuff on my back nice. and all that. Really great. Are you a good so golfer? I'm going to be better before it's all over. <laughs> I have a great passion for the game, oh, and and I just love the game so much. Where do you play here? In Everywhere. The city, or? This weekend, uh, you know, we don't own a car, and there's no ready golf courses, so we're always driving. And uh, this weekend we played, so fun. But my three brothers are all scratch golfers, so wow. I actually believe it's in my DNA, and I am not giving up. You gotta I'm get a, better. I'm not yeah. giving up till I'm a great golfer. <laughs> I'm not bad for a girl. I like to say it that way, but I'm gonna be great, and I just love the game. I have a real passion for the game. Well, gee, it doesn't seem like you give up on anything. I'm inspired by your energy, honestly. Having done all what you did to start over in a new industry, it's very cool. Um, Thanks so much for being on the show. It was really great. I think that's a good place to wrap up as any. How can we help you? How can the audience help you? Thank you, Brandon. Send me great companies. Come and find me if you've got one yourself. If you want to be an investor, we'll find a way under ArcView to invest. If you've got a company that you want funded, we'll introduce you to one of our lines of business. Thank you so much, Brandon. Absolutely. Thanks again.